This is Set Aside Some Time, an MSPN podcast, and it's brought to you by the National MSP Network, or MSPN for short. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and thank you for setting aside some time for us today. Um, this is the first podcast of 2024, and we are actually going to do um, the podcast a little bit different this year. So throughout the year, we're going to start with kind of a base case study. And as we have various podcasts throughout the year, we're going to ad- address different um, Medicare secondary payer aspects, um, working off of that same um, base case study. So joining me today is my co-chair of the um, podcast committee for MSPN, Bridget Smith, um, who also works with me at Impacts. And then um, joining us today is Julie Garrison, who is a partner at Nyam Bambert, Kinsey and Lowry, and she focuses um, on MSP. Uh, thank you for joining us, guys. Thank you, Jen. Well, thanks. Good to be here. Alrighty, so I am going to start um, with a with a little um, reading of what the case study is, and then I think we'll just kind of talk about uh, the basics and how maybe we get started on our journey um, with discussing this in an MSP compliance view. So here we go. So we have Joe, who works for a flooring company installing carpeting. So on um, November 5th of 2020, he was involved in a car accident while driving to a job site and he hurt his right knee. So he has reported the accident to his employer and he's gone to the occupational healthcare uh, clinic for care. He also had a right wrist contusion, which was noted with a right knee sprain. A subsequent MRI of the knee has revealed a torn meniscus as well as osteoarthritis. So Joe had a surgical repair of that torn meniscus in February, of 2021. He underwent a course of physical therapy and then returned to work. So um, Joe's employer um, has the workers' compensation carrier and they have paid for the medical and the indemnity benefits for this claim. So Joe has returned to work now for three months. During this time though, he has continued to experience swelling in that right knee and he feels like he's unable to perform his regular employment duties. So Joe's treating physician authorizes him off of work and recommends a total knee replacement. So Joe begins to complain of the left knee pain now and starts to complain again about his right wrist. Now we've got a total knee replacement being denied by the workers' compensation carrier. The other thing to note on the case is that Joe has applied for and has been awarded social security disability benefits. The workers' compensation carrier now though is looking to potentially settle the case with Joe. And we are in January of 2024. And to note, Joe is going to become Medicare eligible in June of 2024. So, um, Bridget, uh, Julie, this is our um, case scenario. Julie, maybe let's start with you. If you're receiving this case um, from an adjuster as a defense attorney, um, maybe two categories. What initially as a defense attorney are you looking at to get your arms around the case? 
And then as somebody who does really focus on the MSP piece, what, what initial thoughts do you have starting that MSP process? Well, um, one thing that I think both uh, concern would be concerned is like, what's an accepted condition? What's a denied condition? So here we have a right knee, which is accepted. They've paid benefits on. We have a right wrist that didn't really seem to have any treatment, kind of a, a minor thing that resolved quickly. And then looks like we have a right knee that's, or excuse me, a left knee that's now um, starting to have complaints with that as well. Um, so I want to know what their position is on what's accepted, what's a denied condition. And kind of going along with that, I want to know how are the medical bills being handled? So uh, you know, looks like the workers' comp carrier under workers' compensation obviously is paying for, has paid for the right knee. But, um, you know, future care, like a surgery, like a total knee replacement might be denied under the workers' compensation matter. And then these other, you know, maybe they're treating um, for the other knee, but is workers' comp paying for that? So I want to know that. I will add that um, under workers' compensation, the payment of treating medical expenses doesn't prejudice your ability to, you know, raise a causation defense or a reasonableness and necessity defense down the road um, to ongoing treatment. But obviously, that has MSP implications. So, um, Bridget, I was going to jump over to you as you see it, coming from kind of our point of view on the MSP end. What's the first thing that that you're thinking of? when you see the fact pattern, if somebody's going to call you, inevitably the call that we usually get right is, do I need to do an MSA on this? Right, right. And and so there's a couple things with that. Um, with, and, and Julie, really, that was really spot on with the identification of what's related and what's not related, because at the beginning of a claim, that's really what impacts your MSA. And and the distinction between what you can do as an attorney is different than what you can do as far as and as the MSA, because if, and it's hard in these types of cases, especially when it's a body part, but the body part ends up becoming two separate claims, right? One that's denied and one that's accepted. So the knee sprain, the, the tear, that's one thing you've paid for that. But then this individual goes to the doctor. And when they go to the doctor, you know, an adjuster has to be really careful that those the denied treatment for the knee replacement is not paid for because with Medicare, once you pay for it, you really bought it, right? You bought that injury. And so um, that's one of the things that that I'm I'm concerned about when I'm looking at this and thinking from a Medicare compliance standpoint, what, what really was paid for in this case? It, you may have denied the, the right risk, but did you pay for any treatment for the right risk? You may have denied potentially left knee pain, but did the claimant go to the doctor and did they get treated for that? And did you pay for that? Because that's always something that is really important, especially if you're gonna submit this CMS. Now, Jen, you brought up a good point here. Um, Medicare eligibility, according to this fact pattern, they're not going to be Medicare eligible until 2024, June of 2024. And so if this is a claim that you want to submit to CMS, it might not be one that you can submit to CMS if 
the claimants, if you're settling before that time and the amount of the settlement is less than $250,000, which it very well may be in this case. So you may be looking at a below threshold MSA, right? Or it might be a case where you're not submitting at all to CMS and the issue is, do you, you know, do you want to do a certified? So there's a lot of different schools of thought with this. And some, some folks think because it's below threshold that you don't have to really consider Medicare's interest. And, and we know that Medicare has said over and over again that that's really not the case. You still have to consider our interest. And Julie, what are your thoughts on on that when, when you get a case that, that doesn't meet the threshold and, and you know, is one of those in-between kinds of cases? Well, I, I mean, I agree with you. You know, th this is, um, you know, this is a gentleman that is on SSDI. He's within six months of becoming a beneficiary. And so you have to consider Medicare's interests. Um, I, you know, in practice, yes. Uh, how many times have I gotten, you know, an, an op opposing attorney saying, well, we don't need an MSA, do we? Yeah, we do. So I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. So, Bridget, I would just kind of um, back up and, and maybe throw out there in our fact pattern. I clearly, you know, stated that he'd been awarded the Social Security Disability Benefits. I gave you kind of the date of that Medicare eligibility, but I think you guys would probably both agree with me. I don't necessarily know that we always take everybody's word on that because I, I know a lot of people who do not necessarily understand um, the different types of benefits that they are on, right? And so um, I, I think one of the things as you're talking about the, you know, what you go, what you do, whether we're submitting, whether we're doing non-submitting, I think part of that is let's make sure that we know actually what their, their beneficiary status is. So, it, you know, uh, one, um, maybe this is a good time to bring in um, the whole reporting piece of this, right? Yeah. So another part of the, you know, scenario that we laid out with that, you know, original right knee that was accepted, we mentioned the risk, then we talked about that potential left knee, you know, there are section 111 reporting consequences to this, starting with the whole potential query, right? So if you get one, and and great, he's not showing up as a as a Medicare beneficiary, then you know, that's, you know, potentially on track. But if you don't have some type of actual notice of that social security disability, I would consider potentially doing um, doing the check on that, right? Either through their website, having them sign up, or the, you know, there's the SSA 3288 that you can send to the office and know. But I don't know, Julie, if you want to weigh in uh, as a defense attorney, I don't necessarily know that I would take it on on faith that whatever we're hearing for the beneficiary status is what they actually are. Yeah, I agree with you. I usually start by asking for, um, you know, the entitlement letter, you know, the, the or the claimant will have, you know, an SSDI letter shows their date of entitlement. And, you know, very often that is not the date that they start receiving benefits. It's predated. So, and that impacts like their Medicare eligibility dates. So I agree, you want to pin those dates down. You know, I would just add, you know, in this scenario, um, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you might be motivated to try and settle this one before this gentleman becomes Medicare eligible. I mean, even if it means you're going to have to fund a future total knee replacement. 
Right. And I think as we go through all of these things, kind of these potential topics that we're we're kind of pointing to right now is really um, what we're trying to do with, for this process for 2024. You'll hear us on different episodes. We're going to give you a little bit of a twist on the fact pattern or a different twist on, on what's going on in the case to kind of bring up these discussions, right? The Section 111 discussions. What if this person was a Medicare beneficiary? Then we'll talk a little bit about, you know, potential liens and conditional payments and the potential um, MAP plans, um, the potential settlement of the case. We're going to talk a little bit about um, different uh, jurisdictions. I don't know, Bridget, did you maybe want to address, seeing as though you do kind of uh, deal across the board, um, do you look at this any differently if it is in a California jurisdiction versus Julie's in um, Illinois? Yeah, that's that's a great point. So California, uh, CMS has uh, traditionally accepted um, the argument in California that they have that period where they can pay um, uh three months period and it's up to a certain amount. And for some reason, I can't think of the- I believe it's $10,000. $10,000, thank you. And so if they do pay during that time, med, you have to point it out to Medicare that, that under the law, they're able to do that and Medicare will accept that. So that's not detrimental to the case. Um, so jurisdiction does matter. Um, that's a really good point, Jen. And you mentioned section 111 too, and you you talked about the, the query um, but also uh, reporting ORM, and I don't think our fact pattern says that the, it's the claimant that gave that information, but you're right. What if the claimant provided that information? Do we have the award letter? The award letter can also tell you other things about the case, right? Um, there's a lot of meat in there, but um, I think when someone's looking at this from an ORM perspective, yeah, they accepted ORM, but make sure you're reporting the right diagnosis codes, right? Because you're not accepting just everything with relating relating to the knee. You want to be really specific here. Um, and because the injury happened in 2020, you're not going to be using ICD-9 codes. You're going to be using ICD-10 codes. So you can be specific with not only the body part, but the type of injury. So I think that was an excellent point to bring up. Um, you definitely want to query all your cases. Um, uh, and you want to make sure whether they're Medicare eligible, but in this case, they wouldn't be Medicare eligible if you queried them uh, right now. So uh, getting that Social Security uh, award letter is going to be important as well. Because, and Julie, I like the, the thought pattern on that with, hey, uh, from, from just the point of view, if you're somebody who submits to CMS, um, maybe now is the time to settle so you don't have to go through that process. Okay. Okay. Um, girl, is there anything else that you're thinking of this um, uh, fact pattern? I think, you know, one of the things that we talk about, not necess um, necessarily MSP related, at least out front, Julie, but can have big implications later are things like, you know, drugs that he would happen um, to potentially be on or something that he was on. Um, and then maybe, uh, you know, they increased it while the, the case was going on and you're looking to kind of get back. How much kind of um, maybe coaching or discussion do you have on that kind of through the life of the file as you're looking at it from the from the defense attorney point of view? Uh, you know, generally, uh, and this is true, I think, in workers' comp as well as MSP realm, uh, You, it's best to 
deal with these issues when a person has stopped treating. I mean, in this fact pattern, we've got recommended treatment, pretty significant treatment that's going to involve, you know, surgery, uh, probably some therapy postoperatively, and yeah, issue of medications. Um, I mean, I tell my clients all the time, both as a defense counsel and MSP counsel, um, that timing is important. Strategy is important. I mean, an MSA is really just a picture of what's going on at the time that you submit. And things can change pretty quickly, you know, in, in the treatment world. So, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, this case, yeah, there's issues that would would maybe push you to want to try and settle it ahead of the time, you know, before it becomes Medicare beneficiary. But yeah, this person is still treating. So you have to kind of weigh the different factors. Mm-hmm. Let's um, let's maybe flip that kind of on the back end. And w- when we talk about like the recommendation of the um, total knee replacement. So we'll do a little bit of, of what we're going to do throughout the year. Bridget, what if we change the um, the fact pattern and yes, the treater is talking about a total knee replacement, but we have a um, this injured person, our Joe, is saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm going to go and do the, the total knee replacement. Um, that is a situation that, that we encounter quite often. You want to talk about that a little bit from the MSP perspective on, on what we potentially do with that. And then maybe you could transfer that over to Julie on the how that works on the ground when you're um, when you're going to try and deal with that. Sure. Yeah. Um, poor Joe could change his mind at any time, and that's what CMS looks at. It, and 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 truly, you know, it is it is realistic that you know sometimes when you want to settle a case, it sounds like you don't want it, right? I don't really need it right now, but with a knee replacement too, you know, oftentimes you know, that's happening later. That's happening later. It's not happening immediately. And Joe down the line could could think, well, you know, it's getting really bad. I, I need to get one of these. And then at that point, there's no money in that MSA for that. Um, and there might not be any money in the MSA in general left if it's just for a small case for a, a meniscus tear uh, that Joe's treated for and is really not treating for anymore. So um, I think that from a a CMS perspective from a from a future medical perspective um, that that would still if you're if you're accepting it if you're going to include the to, the the knee if you paid for the knee and you paid for the treatment for him to get uh, assessed for the total knee then that's something you probably would need to include in the MSA. Julie, what are your thoughts about uh, you know not even just like this total knee in this case but kind of that that treatment you know, we'll push it in even a little bit further. What if it is some type of treatment, a shoulder surgery, or whatever it would happen to be, that truthfully, this person is not likely to get in the future, but you kind of have it still in those um, medical records, that becomes often a, a barrier to you and your clients to be able to settle, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, it's future medical care is a valid part of a worker's compensation claim. It's going to be part of a how you approach a settlement. Um, you know, <laughs> when you have a, a non-Medicare beneficiary or someone who's not on Medicare's radar, you know, a lot of times we'll just say, well, let's just, you know, throw in, I don't know, 5000 or $10,000, you know, just to the settlement, just to close out the case. 
uh, and close out that medical. But if you have someone that is on Medicare's radar, you have to be a lot more specific and really get into the weeds and, you know, what's going to, what they're going to need. And, you know, that's, that's why it's called future medical care, because yeah, the, in the future, they may need this. Medical care, right. Hey girls, is there anything else that um, on the scenario you wanted to bring up? I think we kind of hit on most of the topics that we'll be walking through um, for the year. We're going to talk about some section 111 pieces of this as we go through. We're going to talk about, you know, if we get to that conditional payment piece, the various parts of that. I think we're going to talk a little bit about potential different jurisdictions and how they would handle it. Um, not only just the allocations themselves, um, but the negotiation piece, potentially um, what we were just talking about, um, you know, making sure that allocation is, um, you know, as 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 um, compact, I guess I would say, uh, or as uh, well-meaning as possible. And then um, I think we also have some schedule on the um, settlement discussions, right? Actually getting um, to that settlement piece. So um, I want to thank you guys, unless you had anything else, Julie and Bridget, um, for joining us today. And um, look forward to um, continuing our um, little case study uh, for the rest of the year this year. A little bit different this year. We're going to go, Bridget. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Sounds yeah, it good. sounds good. I I'll wait for that uh, discussion of the uh, how to handle the map lanes. Well, there you go. <laughs> Always something different, right? And new. Right. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for setting aside some time for us today. And we look forward to seeing you um, next month in February. Bye.